1 Thessalonians 4, we'll start reading verse 13. Paul writing to the Christians, to the believers of Thessalonica, he says, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the final verse, verse 18. He says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Father, tonight I, I pray as we look at this very important passage of Scripture that our hearts and minds would be clear. We would have no preconceived ideas on our own, but we would be uh, uh, wanting to hear, desiring to hear what your word says. And Father, more than just wanting and desiring to hear it, we would be desiring to apply it into our lives. And that we would understand the blessed hope that we have. And that the, that the hope that we should be looking forward to each and every day. I pray that what has happened today or what has happened through the past week uh, will be cleared from our mind. What was going to take place tomorrow or after church or the next week would be cleared from our mind. And we would be right here in the moment with you and your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this is a message concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, according to Paul, we ought to preach on the second coming for at least two reasons. First of all, because we need to be informed. That's why Paul says in verse 13, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this great truth, this great doctrine of the second coming. Now, the Greek word for ignorance where we get our word agnostic. Now, you know, agnostic is someone who does not know whether God exists or not. They, they just don't know, an agnostic, all right? Well, spiritually, Christian, we're not to be agnostic concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any subject of which the Christian should not and must not be ignorant of, it's the subject of the second coming. This is the doctrine that determines our destiny. And, and let me say this, one of the distinguishing truths of Christianity and one of the distinguishing trusts of the Christian life is the belief that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Now history says look back. Science says look around you. Philosophy tells us to look within. But Christianity says look up. Now the difference, folks, between a man who is saved and a man who is lost is simply a lost man has no hope. But a saved man, a saved woman, we have a blessed hope, the Bible says. Amen? Now, when it comes to second coming, what you don't know, it can hurt you. Now, Will Rogers said this one time, and I agree wholeheartedly with him. <clears throat> he said, it's not what a man does not know, but rather what a man knows that ain't so that makes him dangerous. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have met a lot of folks over the years just like that. When it comes to the second coming, when it comes to end times, they are dangerous because of what they think they know. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Some of the greatest heresies 
in the church have come from people who either misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, or just out, out reject the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, we need to be informed about this great truth. But the second thing, Paul also says, we need to preach it and be informed of this great truth, but we also need to be encouraged by this great truth. Look at verse 18 again. He says, comfort one another with these words. We are to comfort each other with this great doctrine. You see, once we know the truth of the second coming of Christ, we need to share that truth with others so they can be encouraged as well. Now, I know folks of no other doctrine in the Bible that ought to encourage a believer more than the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it ought to cause us to be optimistic in a world that's going to hell. It ought to cause us to be evangelistic to a world that's lost without Jesus Christ. And it ought to cause us to work while it's day because night's coming when no man can work. I believe it was D.L. Moody that said, I felt like working three times harder once I understood that one day my Lord is really coming back. Now Paul gives us, folks, in sequence, the events that will surround the second coming of Jesus. But although these events that we're going to be looking at tonight, although they are sequential, they are also simultaneous. These events, the Bible tells us, are going to happen in a moment, literally in the twinkling of an eye. Now I realize when you say the second coming, people say, what do you mean exactly by the second coming? Are you talking about the rapture? Are you talking about when Jesus descends from heaven? Are you talking about when He comes back at the very end after the millennium when it's all said and done? Listen to me, folks. The second coming of Jesus is not just one single event. It's many events together. But what people have a problem with, what they do not understand, the end times and the second coming of Christ do you know what we're supposed to be focused on? Jesus Christ. Not events, not dates, not exactly how things go together, but on Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. It's not an event that I'm looking forward to. It's Christ that I'm looking forward to. It's my blessed hope that I'm looking forward to. But tonight, we're going to talk about these truths concerning when Jesus ascends uh, or excuse me, descends from heaven and with a shout and the voice of the archangel. So, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the assurance of His return. We're told the Lord will return. Look at the passage again. Look at uh, verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. Now, I don't know how to make that any clearer. Maybe some of the modern English translations make it clearer than that. But to me, it's pretty self-explanatory. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. Now I want to say this, I don't agree with gambling, but if you're a gamble, gambler and you want to gamble on something, then gamble on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's a guaranteed sure thing. The Bible makes it very clear. You know the old saying says uh, nothing certain in life, there's nothing certain except death and taxes. You know those saying? Well that's not true. I mean I can move to say Monte Carlo and I never have to pay taxes again. You say you researched that preacher, well I kind of looked at it, but now, there are places you could go and never have to pay taxes. But let me say this, friend. Also, if Jesus comes before I exit this life, I'm not going to die. So those, that's not true then. Death and taxes, only sure things. That's not true. The Bible tells us that a guy by the name of Enoch was translated, so he didn't see death. So let me say this, friend. The only sure thing that you can count on is Jesus is going to come again. 
Now, how could Paul be so certain that his Lord was coming again? Well, first of all, he had the work of the Savior. Look at verse 14. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Now, maybe you never thought about this before, folks, but the return of Jesus is actually based on the resurrection of Jesus. They go hand in hand. Now, if you believe in the resurrection, you have to believe in the return. And if you believe in the return, you have to believe in the resurrection. As a matter of fact, let me say this. I've noticed over the years that these liberals who deny one usually deny the other one also. I mean, if a man, if he doubts the literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ, then he'll also doubt the literal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and vice versa. Obviously, if he doubts the resurrection, he's going to doubt the return. So Paul's argument, when you really study this verse, is if Jesus was raised from the grave, and he was, then he's going to return in glory, and he will. Now, we not only have the work of the Savior, but also the Word of Scripture. Notice that Paul, he did not say this of his own accord. He said it by the Word of God. Uh, Look back up in... uh, Where was I at? I just lost it. Oh, verse 15, first, the first sentence. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So Paul, he didn't come up with this idea on his own. Do you realize, folks, one-third of the Bible is about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? 318 times in the New Testament we're told that Christ is coming again. That means one out of every 30 verses tells us that Christ is coming again. Jesus Himself said it over and over again. I will come again. Now listen, if Jesus just said it once, that would be more than enough. Amen? But He says it several times that He is coming again. If there was only one verse in the Bible that referred to the second coming of Christ, if it was John 14, 3, where Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to Myself, friend, that's enough. You know why it's enough? Because Jesus Himself said so. He said, I'm coming again. Reminds me of the story of a little girl and her dad who were swimming out in the ocean, swimming to the beach one day. This little girl was like a fish, loved to swim. Dad used to swim a lot when he was younger, but like all of us, he'd gotten a little older. He didn't swim near as much as he used to. Well, they were playing in the water, didn't realize it, but the undertow had got them and taken them farther and farther out away from the, the beach, out away from the shoreline. When Dad realized it, he thought, we're in trouble. There's no way we can fight the waves and get back. There's no way I can get her and swim back with her. So he told his little girl, he said, Baby, I I want you, you're a great swimmer. He said, I want you to roll over and just float on your back. He said, I'm going to swim back to shore and get a boat and come get you. She said, Okay, Dad. She flipped over on her back. Dad went to struggling to swim back to shore, and it took him about 30 minutes to get back. Old time, this little girl's floating in the ocean, getting a little farther away, a little farther away. Finds the guy with a boat, tells him what's going on. They rush to the boat. They, they get out and they begin looking for her. And the guy hollers, said, I see a body floating in the water over here. It's about another 30 minutes. They pull up. Well, this little girl is floating on her back. She's smiling, looking at the blue sky. The guy in the boat said, honey, we got you. It's going to be okay. She said, I'm fine. He said, you're not scared? She said, no. Why would I be scared? He said, well, you're floating out here alone. She said, I don't need to be scared. Dad said he was coming back. He was going to get me. Listen to me, friend. As bad as the world gets, and granted, it looks like it's pretty bad. 
It's not going to take me down because Dad said, I'm coming back. My Lord said, I'm going to come back and get you. That's enough for me. Not only do we have the assurance of His return, folks, but also the announcement of His return. Look at verse 16. Paul says there's going to be three sounds that will accompany the coming of the Lord. First of all, there's going to be a command to get up. Notice verse 16. It says, with a shout, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout. That word shout in the Greek literally is a command. Uh, Kalusma is the word that's used. And it's a command that a general would use to command his troops. To tell them to get in formation. Uh, literally, it's a command of our king to all of us saints to tell us, those that have gone on before us, to tell them to get up out of the grave. Now listen to me. Three times in the New Testament, we're told Jesus raised His voice in a shout. And do you realize every one of those times when Jesus shouted, resurrection took place? The first one, John 11. Uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is dead. Jesus comes to the cemetery. What does the Scripture say in verse 43? And with a loud voice, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Immediately, Lazarus, the dead man, was alive again, and he walked out of that tomb and walked out of that graveyard. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, Jesus hanging on the cross. The Bible says with a loud voice, He said, it is finished. And then in verse 52 and 53 of Matthew 27, it says, graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And then the third time, that it talks about Jesus uh, with a shout that resurrection is going to happen right here at the rapture. And at that moment, the whole church is going to rise. You remember those old Tarzan movies? This is what I think about. You say you're comparing... Tarzan, when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite shows. Matter of fact, Edgar Rice Burroughs' book, Tarzan of the Apes, was one of my favorite books as a kid. You remember Tarzan, he'd get up in that tree and he'd let out that, that rebel yell... And all the animals in the jungle would pay attention. They would head toward Tarzan. Well, let me tell you something, folks. When Jesus comes and lets out that shout, that command, every saint from every age, from every corner of this earth is going to rise up out of their grave and meet their Master. There's going to be a cry to give up. Also, look at verse 16. It says, The voice of the archangel. Now, personally... I believe he's talking about Michael here. There's a lot of dispute about this. A lot of scholars want to argue exactly what is the meaning of the voice of the archangel. Again, I believe, I believe it's referring to Michael. You remember in Jude 9, it uh, talks about Michael contending with uh, Satan over the body of Moses. Uh, in uh, Revelation, I think it's 12.7, it talks about Michael leading the hosts of heaven. And also in Daniel chapter 10, it refers to Michael as one of the main guardians of the people of God. And I believe the voice of the archangel is referring to the voice of Michael. And I believe it's a cry of victory. I believe Paul is alluding to the fact that, that Michael's going to say to the devil and his demons at this point in time, as they hover in the air, you say, what do you mean hover in the air? The Bible tells us that the devil, Satan, is prince of the power of the air. And I believe when Christ uh, comes and descends from heaven with a shout, and then Michael with the voice of the archangel, he's going to give that cry of victory, and he's going to let Satan know, hey, the party's over, the jig's up, the bridegroom's come for his own, the battle's won. It's a victory cry. 
You know, the devil and his demons, uh, they may try to keep the Savior from the saints and the saints from the Savior, but to no avail. Satan's a defeated foe. And I believe the voice of the archangel, that cry of victory, is Michael letting Satan know, you're beat, you're done. Now I want you to see there's also going to be a call to go up. Notice the next phrase Paul uses. He says, the trump of God. Now Paul speaks about the trump of God again. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about it being the last trump. Now I'm going to tell you something. A military man in this day and time when Paul was pinning these words, he knew exactly what Paul meant. Because when a Roman camp was about to be broken up, whether it was in the middle of the night or in bright daylight, a trumpet would sound. It would sound three times. The first blast meant, take your tents down. Strike your tents and prepare to depart. The second blast meant you need to fall into formation. And the third blast meant that you're going to march away. That was time to go. Well, when Paul talks about the trump of God, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he says the last trump. Listen to me, folks. The last trump is going to be the clarion call of Jesus Christ for His saints. And when that trump sounds, we're going to go marching up, up, and away. If you know Jesus, you're going to march away. So first, there's the return of a reigning Savior. But secondly, the resurrection of redeemed saints. Is it raining outside? <laughs> Folks, the next great uh, event, after Jesus descends, after the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, will be the resurrection of those saints who have died before. Jesus is going to shout, come forth, and graves of God's people everywhere are going to fly open like a, a jack-in-the-box. I don't know how else to explain it. And the dead in Christ are going to be raised with their new resurrected bodies. I heard somebody quote this one time, said, up from the sea, up from the sod, all will arise and go to God. That says the dead in Christ, we're told, are going to rise first. Verse 15 says we're not going to prevent. That word prevent just means proceed. Uh, we're not going to go before them. Now, why is that? I've heard a lot of explanations on this too. But I heard one old preacher say at one time, I think give the best uh, explanation of why the dead in Christ are going to rise first. He said, because we got a six foot head start on them. They're six foot down, we're six foot above. God don't show any favorites. He wants us all to go at the same time. That's as good an explanation as any. Because to me, it doesn't make any difference. I know I'm going, whether, I'm, whether my body's in the ground or here, I'm going when Christ comes. Now notice this resurrection is going to be of the body. The soul is already gone on to be with Jesus because we're told in verse 14, look what it says. He's bringing those who have fallen asleep back with Him. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Now, I want to make it real clear. There's no such thing in the Bible as soul sleep. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's the body that sleeps, not the soul. In the Bible, sleep is a metaphor that describes a dead body. Again, not the soul, but a physical body. Uh, I don't know how else to explain it, but if you've ever seen a corpse, you know that corpse lying there looks like it's asleep. Eyes are closed, the corpse is still. You say they're not breathing, preacher. They still look like they're asleep, though. I mean, if that makeup guy at the funeral home did a good job, they look like they're asleep lying there. As a matter of fact, folks, the word sleep in the Bible is the Greek word from which we get our word cemetery. And the word cemetery literally means a sleeping place. It's a place where dead bodies sleep. 
So let me put it this way. It, and the storm's going to be all right. We got a good roof on this building. Uh, remember, we paid, we paid, had a good roof put on this building. We're going to be fine. Y'all focus right here. Lightning's not going to hurt anything. Listen to what I'm telling you. When a man dies, the body goes to sleep, but the spirit goes back to heaven. You say, are you sure about that? Absolutely, the Bible teaches that in several places. But let me give you this. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So one of these days, folks, Jesus is going to come back, and the departed souls, spirits of those loved ones who have died and gone before us, they're going to be reunited with resurrected bodies, and they're going to be uh, the resurrection of the redeemed souls. That's first. Now I want you to notice something else. The third thing, folks, is the rapture of the remaining saints. Those who are dead and have gone before us will be first. We'll be second. Sounds like it's hailing. I hope it beats my truck to pieces. <clears throat> you say, why? Because i got full coverage on it. I don't on the other ones. Look at verse 17. It says again, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now after the dead in Christ are raised, the living in Christ are going to be raptured. Now a lot of folks say, well the word raptured is not used. The word caught up is used. And the word rapture means caught up. It's a Latin word. All right, It comes from a Latin phrase, to be caught up. Now when that happens, at that moment, when we're raptured, folks, we are going to be changed from corruption to incorruption. From mortality to immortality, from death to life. There's going to be a, a, such a great change take place, I don't know how to explain it. Reminds me of a, is this mic on? Yeah. It reminds me of a, a farmer I heard about. He was just an old farmer, never been to the big town, big city. And so he took a trip into the big city, I think it was into Chicago one day. And he had his wife and his young teenage son with him. And he had never seen a building over two stories high. Well, he went into one of the big hotels there, you know, great big stories. He'd never seen an elevator, and he was amazed. People getting on that elevator, people getting off that elevator. And, you know, and he saw this older woman get on the elevator, and, you know, the dials and the deal went up and back down. But when the doors opened up, this beautiful young woman got off the elevator. And he stood there, he just couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, he said, boy, you stay right here. I'll be back. He said, Dad, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go fetch your mama and run her through this thing. <laughs> There's going to be a great change take place, folks. When God's elevator takes over in the rapture, when Jesus says, come up hither, we're going to be called up and we're going to be transformed and we're going to receive the redemption of our bodies and there'll be a change take place like the world has never seen. That's what we, why we call it the blessed hope. That's why Paul calls it the blessed hope. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody wrote these beautiful words once. Oh, blessed hope, perhaps today, a moment more and then away. Caught up in the clouds to be with Him beyond the reach of conflicts grim. Of disappointments, pain, and tears, oh, blessed hope, the rapture nears. I got to be honest with you, folks. When I think about the rapture, I almost rapture. Because I think, what an event to look forward to. What an event, folks, to anticipate. When in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to receive immortal, translated, glorified bodies. 
But now I want you to see the final thing. Verse 17 is the reunion of rejoicing saints. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be a lot of rejoicing going on. Remember this formula, folks. Return plus resurrection plus rapture equals reunion. There's going to be a family reunion like the world has never seen. The largest family reunion in history. Literally millions and millions of redeemed kinsmen of every tribe, every race, every nation is going to be there. It's going to be the longest family reunion that's ever been held because it's going to last through all eternity. It's going to be the loudest family reunion because they're going to be the shouts of the saints echoing from one end of heaven to the other. Now think about it. You know, when we that old song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Think about what a day that's going to be. Reunion take place. They're going to be that reunion of the family of God. You're going to get to see your mom and dad again. You know, I have preached a lot of funerals for family members over the years, and the one thing that brought me hope standing by their casket and by their graveside was the fact that I knew one day because of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection and the rapture, we were going to be reunited. And I'm going to tell you something. No infidel skeptic, uh, no person is going to remove that hope from me. The hope that I have in Jesus Christ that hangs that rainbow around the storms of this life and tells me, you're going to see them again. You're going to get to see that son or daughter. i got a daughter. But I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. You're going to see those grandparents, maybe that husband, that wife that's gone on to heaven before you. I remember seeing a bumper sticker, and I've used this in funerals so many times. Christians never say goodbye. They just say, I'll see you later. I'll see you later. I remember Billy Sunday and R.G. Lee was sitting at his house one day, and Homer Roadheaver, who was Billy Sunday's music man, they were sitting at Billy Sunday's house, the story says, at Winona Lake in Indiana. And, and they were visiting. And all of a sudden, Billy Sunday saw Dr. Lee staring off into the distance. He said, Bob, what are you looking at? Dr. Lee said, I, I was just thinking about heaven. He said, I was looking at that sunset and I was thinking, what's beyond that sunset? Well, that struck Homer Roadheaver in such a, a forceful way. He went in the house and he wrote a song entitled Beyond the Sunset. How many of y'all know that song? I love to hear a bluegrass group sing it. Maybe, maybe you don't, but Beyond the Sunset. The last verse is like this. Beyond the sunset, oh glad reunion with our dear loved ones who've gone before. And that fair homeland will know no parting beyond the sunset forevermore. Folks, I can't wait for that glorious reunion when we'll be together with Jesus. I know you're worried about the storm, but what are you going to do? Where are you going? It's dry in here, and it's a metal roof. I'm winding it up right here. Listen to me, folks. Everything that I've been preaching on, I know it sounds wonderful, and it is, but you need to understand something. The resurrection and the rapture, it's by invitation only. So you better have an invitation, or you're not going to be involved in it. If you're not saved, Jesus, you're not going to hear Him shout. You're not going to hear the voice of the archangel, and you won't hear the trumpet sound. You know, you can take a mixture of metals, say gold, silver, copper, zinc, lead, iron, 
throw it out on the ground. You can even bury some of it under the ground. And you could take a huge magnet and pass over that metal and that gold, silver, lead, zinc, copper, whatever else, it's going to lay right there. But immediately, the moment that magnet passes over that iron, what happens? That iron jumps out of the ground and goes to that magnet. You know why? Well, because it's magnetized. No, because it has the same nature as that magnet. Now, having said that, one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. And only those people who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who share that nature, is going to go up and away and leave the rest of this world behind. Now, my prayer is, not that you're a member of this church, but that you know Him. Or if you don't know Him, that today would be the day of salvation. So when the trumpet blows, and the angel shouts, and the Lord commands, you'll be one of those who go up and away with the rest of us and not left behind. Now, I'm going to quit preaching right there and we're going to just bide the storm for a few moments. Alright? Say, preacher, you going to pray? Yeah. And I'm going to pray into the mic so you can hear me. Hopefully. Father, I thank You for reminding us that even, even as a storm rages outside, that Father, we have hope. We have hope beyond this life. Hope beyond this world. We have a blessed hope. We're assured because of your work, because of the work of the Savior, that one day we're going to go to a better home. We're going to have a new body. We're going to have a new life. We're going to be made over in the image of Christ. I thank you for reminding us of that, and I pray for those here tonight, if they do not know this for sure, that tonight would be the night when they would, God, they would just surrender their life and their all to Jesus Christ. I thank you for caring for us, for loving us, for protecting us, and God, for desiring us. Because we did not desire you first. You loved us first. In Christ's name, amen. Let's just hold off on it. Alright, if anybody needs to make a run for it, now sounds like a pretty good time. Yeah, buddy. <laughs>